good welcome home to you today. So uh, we're continuing on our Nehemiah series. Uh, you can follow along on live uh, version deal, the live event deal. So we're, we're so glad you're here. We're going to continue in our Nehemiah series that we've been in the past couple of weeks. But let me ask you this question. Have you guys ever seen the movie Little Giants? Like 1994, like circa 1994. It's an amazing movie. I had to introduce my four-year-old to it this week because it's so good. I mean, you guys remember Icebox, like the chick that could run everybody over? Like, you love Icebox. There's some great quotes in it. For those of you that haven't seen it, here's the trailer that kind of gets you in the football mode today. When you hear your name called, I want you to go over to Coach Butts, and I want you to pick up your jersey. Those jerseys are so cool. For everyone who has waited to be chosen. Lewis! but is still waiting. Rivera! For everybody who has dreamed of being somebody, Scanlon! but is still dreaming. Walker! For every person who only wanted that one chance. For the rest of you. But never got it. I'd like to thank you for trying out. Your day has come. Let's kick some butt. Are you ready for me? Look, you berserk old Barbie doll. You can talk the talk, you walk the walk. Somebody call 911! Warner Brothers and Emblem Entertainment present... like you and kids like that. I mean, they can't help it, they're no good. Rick Moranis. Who are you, Vince Lombardi all of a sudden? It's Pee Wee Football. Ed O'Neill. Oh my God, Coach is a vampire! Peanut butter and jelly sandwich? You'll never get anywhere treating your helmet like a lunchbox, son. And a cast of small wonders... Timmy, I'm not sure, but I don't think that goes there. In the story of a gridiron miracle. League rules clearly state, one town, one team. Meet me at half court. It's the 50-yard line, Dad! Now, with a little professional help, they've got exactly two weeks to learn how to pass. What a hunk. Hi. Catch. Son, if you're gonna cheat, win! Block. Get the fear out of your eyes! Let's go! Kick butt. Want intimidation? I'll show you intimidation. Little Giants. Do you like football? No. You want to play football? No. Great, you can be on our team. Heroes come in all sizes. I feel like uh, that last line is like something I'll use as like a church planner. Like, do you want to go to church? No. Do you, or do you want to help start a church? No. Do you, do you want to help be on our team? No. Do you like church? No. You can be on our team. Like that's, that's like the life of a church planner. So we're so glad you're here. Uh, looking forward to what God's going to do today in this time. We're going to be diving into Nehemiah chapter 2 and kind of crossing over into chapter 3 here in just a couple of moments. Um, but just to kind of catch you up, if you are new today, uh, on what we've been talking about in, in this book of Nehemiah, it's really this incredible story of this kind of even a ragtag team and a ragtag leader that kind of comes together to do the impossible and the incredible in a very short amount of time. Um, and so we're going to continue on in that journey. And so we'll be diving into that a second in a second. I'm a little bit of a sap. Um, when it comes to football stuff, like I, I watched that with my son this week and I literally started choking up in some of the things. I'm like, I'm just honest. Started choking up in some of the, the moments. And, uh, you know, when it comes to the NFL draft and I see one of these kids, you know, rise up and they like, come from so little and they, you know, achieve their dream, I'll, I'll like, I'll start shedding a tear and I'll try to cover it up and start laughing it off. But it just touches me emotionally. We all love to cheer for the underdog. And that's what we get in this book of Nehemiah. He was a cupbearer, but God gave this big vision to go back 
and, and rebuild the walls. To rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, um, the people of Israel had been deported. They had been deported from their home of Jerusalem and taken to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar is no longer king, so King uh, Cyrus allows the people to go back into Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, but the temple walls are down. And so that's kind of a big problem. God sends Nehemiah into this city to, uh, to, to kind of gather together a team and put some, some uh, things in place, but he was not experienced. He was a taste tester. That's what he did. He was a cupbearer. That's all he knew, um, but God's given him this great big dream. And so today I want to really talk about kind of what we're building. You know, that's what we've been talking this whole series. It's a time to build. Okay, so what are we building, and what does it look like for us to build something together? Like this ragtag team of little giants that came together. That's what we see in Nehemiah. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. We're going to work our way through the rest of chapter 2. And then uh, you'll find that chapter 3 is really repetitious. It's, it's like 30, 32 verses long. I'm not going to read all those. I'm going to read the first little bit. And by the first little bit, you'll kind of get the idea. And we'll kind of run with that for our points today. So let's begin verse 11 of chapter 2. I went to Jerusalem. This is Nehemiah. And after staying there three days, <clears throat> I set out during the night with a few others. And I had not told anyone what my God had put um, in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. There's one horse in this race. Uh, By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well. Don't you love these names? The dung gate. Um, That was probably very, like, legit. There was probably a jackal that sat by that well. You had to fend him off. There was literally made of dung. Uh, Examining uh, the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. So he's getting there, seeing the situation. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool. Uh, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. Things were busted up. Can't get, really get there with a horse. So I went uh, up the valley by night examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said, um, as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. So nobody that's actually going to help me get this thing done knows about what's about to happen, Right? Uh, Then I said, you see the trouble we're in. So he's coming clean about what's going on, why God sent him here. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Let's get real here for a second. And its gates have been burned down with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we'll no longer be in disgrace. Let's finish out this chapter. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. A couple more verses. But when Simbal the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Jeshem uh, the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you will have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historical right to it. We'll, we'll begin talking next week about adversity. Because this ends up being a, a longer book, and we're just at the very beginning, the next couple of weeks, we're going to kind of fast forward through a lot of stuff. And next week, we're going to be talking about adversity and these guys that begin to come against the work and how do we face adversity in our life? Because all of us face it. How are we going to get through that when people are, are kind of try, looking to tear down uh, the work that God's doing? And so I think kind of the first thing that we can get out of these first few verses is he's like not telling anybody about it, but he's kind of starting to come clean and kind of cast the vision about why we are here. And, and what I think it brings us to as we talk about building something together God's called us together as the body of Christ to build something greater than ourselves. Where do we begin in this? And I think this text right here tells us we need to start with the why. 
I think that's what Nehemiah kind of sets up. We've got to start with the why. Many of us in our own lives, like we, we have yet to grasp the why am I here? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I just paying the bill? And many of us just get caught in this kind of routine and monotonous journey of this American dream that finally when we get there and we achieve it, we realize that it's, it's kind of empty in some ways. But I think the call of God and the kingdom of God that he's called us to come together and build is not empty and void, but the relationship with the Lord that he wants to walk in us in is so deep and fulfilling. And I think that's why we've got to start with the why. And that's what Nehemiah is doing here. He's saying we've got to start with really the ground because we won't be in disgrace. Let's, because this is a good work that God's called us to and the people responded, let's start the good work. Let's rebuild this good work. So we've got to start with a why. Uh, a pastor named Larry Stockstill has this incredible quote about this. He said, if you have a big enough why, you'll always figure out the how. Before you worry about how to accomplish something, make sure the why is buried deep inside of you. That is what will give you the persistence and strength to see it through. I feel like in every season, just as a pastor and in this journey that we've been on in starting this church years, a few years ago, that every season has been God pushing the why deeper and deeper into my heart. Deeper and deeper into my heart as there's been resistance, as things haven't gone like we've planned. Every season pushes the why deeper and deeper into my heart of why we are here. So I wanted to stop in the midst of this message and just talk about why we're here as a church together. If we're going to build this thing together, and many of you are plugged in and serving and volunteering and helping this thing go forward, why are we here and I think if we begin to look across the city, we begin to talk to different churches, the why is very similar, but it also can be very different in the way we view things and how we look at the measurements of what success is. And all through October, we're going to be looking, we're doing a series called Target Practice on what success really is. Success is kind of a moving target, but it's also not. So we'll be talking about that. So why are we here? And I think many times as Christians, we're like, it's to introduce people to Jesus, Right? Like, that's why we're here, right? We want that. But I think it's got to be multi-layered, and I don't think that introducing people to Jesus can be, like, our only goal because we'll get everything out of focus, and we'll kind of miss, I think, the greater picture of what Jesus calls us to. One, it's to honor God. Like, we as individuals and humans, our lives are to be worship and sweet to, to the Lord and, and honoring him and giving him glory for every part of our being and our life. That is why individually we are here as humans, and our church, it should be the same thing. We should be a bunch of people that just want to live and serve and honor God with our whole lives. And, and Jesus, actually, when many times we say just kind of getting people to the starting line is what I call it. Uh, many visions of, of church and like what the mission is and why we're here is to introduce people to Jesus. And that's great, but that's really just the starting line. What Jesus says after he was resurrected and he appeared to the disciples three times in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, and this is our mission statement as a church, says this, Therefore, go and make disciples. Not just introducing people to Jesus, but making disciples, making genuine followers of Jesus, people that will chase after him and live and walk with God their entire lives of all nations, not just in our small community, but across the globe, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you um, always to the very end of the age. So Jesus says in his last, what we kind of know as the great commission or our kind of co-mission with God, walking out this mission as Jesus departs, as the end of it, Jesus goes back to, to heaven and, and from here, it's like it's in your hands. 
Go and make disciples. So he's sending us forward in this mission. And so that's really why we're here, is to not just get people to the starting line, but to walk with them to the finish line. Anybody with me? Like, it's not just about getting the finish line, to the starting line. So when we don't do things super sexy, that's because it's not all about kind of the, the stuff. It, it's about the genuine relationship and walking through this life with one another and doing life, what we see in the scriptures. And, and I think that kind of model is what we see in the life of Jesus. Uh, G- Jesus didn't keep, keep going bigger and better and uh, more edgy and you name it. Like, no, he was just real and he was raw and he did life with people and he met them where they were at. And, and our, our core values kind of unpack that for us, that Jesus loved people unconditionally. When everybody else wanted to cast stones, Jesus drew a line and said, no, no we're, if anyone else is here without sin, then you can cast the first stone. And so he operated in unconditional love. And if we look in Acts 2, 42, we see people who were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to fellowship, like devoted to connecting and being with another. They were devoted to breaking bread, which we do every week. They were devoted to that. And they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, opening the scriptures and allowing God to speak. They were devoted. If you look into the scriptures, every time it says devoted, 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 devoted. I think if we look in our lives, many times we're not. But we want to create that, that honest community. We see that Jesus didn't come to, to serve, but to, uh, didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that God's given us unique abilities and giftings to, to serve and build up the body in this great big picture that he's called us to. And finally, creativity that God has never done. He's never finished. So when some people give up on, on different things, God's not given up because what he planted and what he started, he's going to finish. He that started the work in you will be faithful to complete it. God is a creator, and when, when things get destroyed, God gets excited because he's about to create something fresh. I feel like in our, even in the life of our church in the past couple months, God's been killing some things. He's been killing some things intentionally that we might go forward, and, and sometimes we can look at that like, oh, why is this happening, or why is that happening? Well, God, because God's about to birth something new. God's about to birth something new, and, and so many of us, when we look at, at a plant dying, you know, we can look at, oh my gosh, no, God's getting ready to birth something new. We look at the seasons, the, there's always the change of seasons, and sometimes that happens in the, our individual lives, I think, on, on a regular basis, and then it happens in the life of our church, too. So I want to start with, we got to start with the why. Go back to that quote, I want to read that one more time, because I just feel like it's really powerful, um, from Pastor Larry Stockstill. If you have a big enough why, you'll always figure out the how. Before you worry about how to accomplish something, make sure the why is buried deep inside of you. That is what will give you the persistence and strength, strength to see it through. So maybe that why is just kind of a personal why. Like, what, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I, am I just going through the motions? And I, I believe that God wants us to bury that why individually and as a church deep into our hearts because it's what's going to help us get through and give us the persistence and strength to see it through. So let's go over to chapter 3 and let's continue this conversation about building together and what we see in chapter 3. I think this is, if you were reading this by yourself, this would be one where you start nodding off. <laughs> Anybody you know, have those scriptures? Is that, is that kind of sacrilegious to say that some parts of the scriptures are boring? Is that, is that bad? I don't know. Not, not strike, it hasn't struck me down, dead yet, but... Um, um, but this is one that I think could, we could kind of trail off, and especially if you begin to read through 32 verses, you'd be like, if you got all the way through it, like, all right, well, I didn't get much out of that. What is this about? Let's read through it, and I want to unpack about what this kind of, what we might look at as a boring scripture actually really means, and we, I think we'll find it's quite vibrant. 
Let's read into the details here. Eliashib, that's a fun name, the high priest and his fellow priest went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. How about those priests taking off their priestly garments and getting to work? How about them priests not just playing golf and eating food with people, but they're swinging a hammer. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Henanel. The, the men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Emery, um, built next to them. The fish gate, that's a fun one, was uh, rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Uh, Merimoth, son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired the next section next to him. Meshalom, son of Berechiah, son of, you see, you see what I'm saying? All right, you with me? Made repairs, and next to him, Zadok, son of Bana, also made repairs. You're starting to fall asleep. Let's hang in there for a couple more verses. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, um, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. You hear that? Some people were too good for the work. Some people were like, I'm not putting my shoulders up under that. I'm not going to follow them. The, the Jeshanah gate was repaired by Joida, son of Pasia, and Meshulam, I'm getting my, my Hebrew tested here, son of Besidea. Uh, they laid its beams and put its doors and their bolts and bars in place. A couple more verses. And you'll wake back up. Verse 7. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah, militia of Gibeon, and Jadon, Maranoth, places of, um, under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Last verse here. <clears throat> uh, Uziel, uh, son of Herahiah, one of the goldsmiths repaired the next section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. This continues on for like 24 more verses, so you are welcome. We're not going to keep reading the whole chapter, okay? You're welcome. Um, but begin to check this out. So we've got priests coming together to get the work done. We've got goldsmiths probably making decent money if they're working with gold. They stop what they're doing, and they get to work. Perfume makers that probably didn't like to stink and sweat, <laughs> quit what they're doing, and they got to work. He got that why out somehow. He got that why, and it got buried down in some people, that they were willing to pause what they were doing. That was important. The work of the priestly and, and the goldsmith and perfume, they were making a living. They were going at it. But somehow, Nehemiah got them to catch the picture of what they were doing was important, and this work was good. This was good work, and it was worth putting their hand to the plow. And I think the second thing that God would say to us today is that whatever you've got, God can use it. God can use it. Whatever you've got, time, money, energy, talent, no talent, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, um, you know, whatever it is, God can use it. And many times what we look at is we look at our limitations as kind of excuses for why we can't do the work of God, right? I think we see it through Abraham. He lied and didn't know if he could be used. We look at, at Moses, and he had a stuttering problem. You go through all these people in the scriptures, and we look at David, who was a man after God's own heart, but he was also a murderer, and he had also committed adultery. Like, and we make all these excuses about things that have happened to us and how we're not good enough. We make all these excuses. But God delights in, in, in glorifying himself through our weakness. It's because when we're weak, he's strong. And what we view as limitations, God sees as opportunities for him to receive glory. 
And so if you're looking in your life and you're like, I'm limited in this area, and we basically put all the excuses for why we can't be used of God, right? Then I just encourage you just to go through the scripture and read about all these people that God used, and you will find that they were far from perfect. You will find that they had more limitations than what we do in our modern era, right? They had less flexibility, um, and I think ultimately, when we come down to it, we, we've got to believe that God can use us. He can use all these people in Scripture, then he can use us. And I, I love this picture of people stopping what they're doing, perfume makers, and I think if, you know, goldsmith, priests, everybody coming together, all these different people that were scattered about doing their work, they come together for something that's bigger than themselves, and they can do the impossible through that. I think if in this room we were to take a bunch of personality tests, We'd find every personality on the scale, right? If we would go through and just kind of assess like your passions and the things you're passionate about, we'd find all kinds of different things that you're passionate about. If we'd go through and, and, and helped you kind of assess like what spiritual gifts you, you might operate in your life and what God's doing in your life, you, we might, we'd find this great array of, of kind of different things that God uses in our life. And I think that's the beauty of what we see. If we, we ask what career you did, we'd find every single kind of thing going on in this city. We'd find it in this room, every kind of area. We looked at your schedules. I was trying to organize a fantasy football league, right, the other day. And I couldn't get everybody together because everybody's got all these different schedules. It's hard to get everybody together, right? But sometimes we get this why buried down inside of us. And if we'll stop kind of the excuses and we'll engage and say that God can use me and believe that and know that that's scary, but God can use us. I mean, we look at this, this ragtag team of the little giants, they come together, it's, you know, and they end up getting coached up by, you know, some, you know, NFL players back in 94. But ultimately, they were not like the cream of the crop. They were the ones that didn't get picked, you know. And so if they can get picked, if, if a cupbearer can come forward and lead this ship, then God can use us. And whatever you've got, good, bad, ugly, God can take it and redeem it and use it for his glory whatever limitations you're placing on God, like just, just begin to strip those off. Let God strip those off. Let him lead you to places in the scripture that will be like, man, that, that's comforting to know. God can use them. He can use me. And I think when we begin to connect with one another around this room more uh, deeply, then I think we'll find that even more and more, that there's this beautiful diversity of people that God's bringing together to build and, and do this great work. And so I'm thankful for that. And I think if we continue in and look at this chapter three, I, that we can do some great things together. I think they end up doing some really impossible things. I mean, how many of you guys live over here by Bartram or in the Mandarin area? You've seen like stuff going up really fast, right? Like stuff's just flying up. They put up Dunkin' Donuts like a, a year or two ago and they put it up in like two weeks, it felt like. I mean, they put up buildings like crazy fast now. I mean, it's like, wait, that wasn't there like two weeks ago and now it's like the structure and they're bringing in the donuts. You know, it's like everything goes really, really fast. And they were actually able to accomplish something really, really great in 52 days. I feel like that's probably about what they take to put up some of these shops now, right? Like some of these things within a couple months, those things are up, right? Well, this isn't 2015 that we're talking about here in Nehemiah chapter 3 in the book of Nehemiah. We're not talking about 2015. And, and we're not talking about with all the skills and advances. And we're not talking about where they have perfect plans. And we're not talking about they have skilled workers and people who went to college for things and are educated and who have lots of experience to put these things in place. No, they're talking about, we're talking about in this text, 
We're talking about a guy that has zero building experience, really zero leadership experience. His, his experience is tasting the, the king's wine. Like that's his job, is playing Russian roulette every day and hoping he doesn't die. That's his job. And God calls him into this and he brings these people together and they accomplish a really something amazing through this. John 14 and 12 says something really beautiful that Jesus says to us, and for many of us, we may have trouble believing this text that Jesus says. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. I don't know if you're like me, but every time you read that, it's just like, yeah, but, right? And we go back to the limitations, right? We go back to, yeah, but, but seriously, Jesus? Like, you gotta be kidding here, Right? but do even greater things than these, that we can do something great together. We can do something incredible together. I and mean, just like they, they did in Nehemiah, and just like they did in Little Giants, they came together. Oh, here's a spoiler alert. They rebuild the wall in 52 days, and the Little Giants win. They win against this big team with Spike on it. Sorry if you haven't seen the movie. But they win on this incredible play at the very end called the Annexation of Puerto Rico. Where's all the Puerto Ricans in the house, right? It's called the Annexation of Puerto Rico, and they run this play, and it's the last play. They're on the one-yard line. They run all the way down the field and score. Such a, a, just a miracle. And this great kind of thing that kind of makes you cry, makes you excited for the underdog to win. And Jesus said that you do greater things than what he did. And I think we've got to begin to believe in that. We've got to b- believe that God can use us. And we've got to believe that we can do great things um, as we walk with the Lord and as he, he fills our life, fills us up with his spirit. I think finally, as we just kind of close chapter three for a second, I think ultimately we, we've just got to begin to ask ourselves what's possible. And, and it brings me just to the, the text um, uh, in Luke that says nothing's impossible with God. That nothing's impossible with God. And while many of us would claim to be Christians, it says it on our Facebook profile and we come to a Christian church and, and like, you know, we, we claim Jesus and we're Jesus followers. When it comes down to actually believing in stuff, like in really believing that God can do some stuff, our faith really gets questioned, right? I mean, it's like, you know, now I have to really walk by faith. What do you mean? Like, what do you mean this faith thing is supposed to be about walking in faith? Like, we do everything we can to remove and get ourselves so distant from actually walking in faith. And God brings us into that. But I think as we begin to understand that nothing is impossible, God, and truly believe it and let God prove himself, I think it's going to bring an inspiration in our life and where we'll see even in greater things than this. We'll see God do the impossible. Things that we thought we'd never see, we'll see it come to fruition. I love what Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says. It's a powerful text here. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Like we set our expectation, he's going to do even more than all we ask or imagine. According to not to our power, not to our strength, but to his power that's at work in us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. There's this song. Some of you grew up in the church. Some of you um, did and you haven't been in a long time. I remember this song growing up um, when, as a kid that we sang. And everybody's church is saying different songs, but my church used to sing this song um, it's like, you are awesome in this place, mighty God, or something like that. An old, old school song. But I remember this song, and, and I just remember worshiping to it. And all the time, I always thought, like, this place, like, this place. God's awesome in this place, right? I always thought that. 
And one time I just remember in worship that God just stopped me in my tracks and was like, no, I want to be awesome in this place. I'd be awesome in and through you. And so many times we think about what God's going to do out here, but we forget what God wants to do in here in our hearts. And many times I have people ask me, like, what have you learned on this journey of pastoring? And I'm like, what I didn't calculate is what God would be doing in me. The dead parts he'd be killing, and I'd mourn over them, and he'd birth something new. That every season God was doing something new, and I'm believing that in this place that God wants to do something new in you. I'm believing that God's birthing something fresh in our body, and I just want to, to ask you just to believe with me. I want to ask you to put your hands to the good work. I want to ask you to to get the the why buried deep down inside of you. And if you forgot about why we exist as human beings, that we are here to worship and glorify God, then don't forget it. Don't forget it now in this place, and don't forget it Wednesday at lunch, and don't forget it Thursday night when you lost your job. Don't forget, I hope nobody loses their job. Don't forget it. Let it get buried down inside of you. Because God wants that identity with him and that worship. We put, we put our feet on all kinds of other rocks that can be moved, right? That's what Jesus gave this parable about, building our house on a solid rock. Don't build it on sand, or when the weather comes, it's going to be blown away. And some of us, we do that. We're like, oh, no, life's not all about my career, but then we build our life all on our career. It's not about money, but then all we do is make all our decisions based on money, right? And then something comes along, it's all about my husband, or it's all about my wife, and then... God forbid something happens there. You lose them. Then what are we standing on? On Christ the solid rock we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's get ourselves rooted in him deeper and deeper. Let the why of why we exist be rooted deeper and deeper. And God's going to birth something fresh, not by anything we've done, but by his power that is at work in us. So we got to ask ourselves a couple questions today. Have I grasped the why? Do, do Do I get it? And um, sometimes we don't know what we don't know, and, and God wants us to help us understand the why. And it's not just in a moment, but it's over time. God, just deeper and deeper, I'm going to understand that why as I just take the next step. What's God asking me to do in this moment? Have we discovered the why? I think on this day where NFL kickoff, we're going to hang out and watch the game here in a little bit. We ask ourselves, Am I living life? Am I, am I rolling with God as a, as a fan, as a spectator? Or, or am I a participator with Christ? Am I a participator with Christ? Am I a participator in this mission? Am I a participator with the church? Or am I just a spectator? Am I operating as a spectator? Am I operating as a participator? Am I a fan? Just a fan of what's going to happen? Or am I going to get on the field and play? Some of us, we want our distance, and we'll just see what happens. But God's calling us to the field and the co-mission to make disciples. And then thirdly, I, I believe today, we just have to ask our, ourselves, what's possible? What's possible with people who say yes to God? What's possible with people who, who will just say, God, I'm not much, right? But you can use me. I don't have a lot to give, but what I have is what I'm bringing, as that last song we sang a few minutes ago. All I have is what I'm bringing to you. Everything is what I'm bringing to you, God. Got some good, some bad, and ugly, and just trust the Lord that it's not about us being great, it's about him being great in us. As that happens, I believe that God's gonna do the incredible, this good work, that the walls will be rebuilt in our lives, in our individual lives, the things that we've been trying to work together for in our own individual lives and as a church are gonna be built up, and God's gonna do the impossible.
And so I want to ask you to stand with me in this place. And we're going to continue to worship and we're going to be drawn to the table. And as we come to the table today, I want us to be reminded of something. That what Jesus did at the cross has made us victorious. Right? Isn't that what we love to celebrate? We love to celebrate a team win. My Gators struggled last night. They really struggled. Team they probably shouldn't have struggled in. But in the end, we won, right? Jesus did all the struggling for us, and we're going to have to do some struggling in the meantime, but we're victorious. So I'm, I'm weird. I've shut off all the notica- notifications on my teams because I don't want to know the score. I just want to be able to watch the game, like, you know, because I recorded or something. I just want to be able to watch the game. I don't want it to spoil it. Spoiler alert, we win, and what Jesus did at the cross was enough, and we're victorious. There's your notification. We win. And so come today as victors. If you come in here and and feeling less than, if you come in here and feeling broken and maybe like a a loser, like you didn't get picked for the team or whatever's going on, be reminded that in Christ is the solid rock on which we stand. And that we have that foundation that can't be shaken. And so I want to pray for us and invite you to the table. If you've never said yes to following Jesus, today is the day. Like just say yes to giving him everything, not just pieces of your life, but all of it. It's his let him rock your world with it. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this table, God, that, that draws us into deeper and deeper truth and leads us into deeper and deeper truth, God. And we just, we praise you, God, because you know us inside and out, God, and you draw us together in this place to worship you and to honor you, God. And I pray for those in the house that have not understood the why of why we exist, you would reveal that in this time, God. You'd reveal this. God, and I pray, pray right now in this time, God, as we come to the table, if there's, there are those in this house that have never said yes to you, God, that we'd find our hope, our faith in you today and know that we are victorious. We give you, pra- we give you praise in Christ's holy name. Amen. You can come to the table as you are today.